night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show, everyone. Great to have you all along with us tonight. I had mistakenly, I, th I can't remember when the last, I guess it was Tuesday night. I had said that we were going to be talking about UFOs tonight. I got my scheduling mixed up. Uh, Eddie reminded me earlier today that no we're not in, at all talking about ufos tonight although there is a lot to talk about when it comes to the ufo community and what's been happening recently however we're going to have an equally fascinating conversation tonight about bigfoot we've got uh, author mike dupler joining us to talk about his latest book it's called on the trail of bigfoot i'm holding it up here you can see it if you're watching the YouTube stream on the trail of Bigfoot, he's done a lot of uh, field research, a lot of investigating on the Bigfoot phenomena. He's got a lot of opinions and a lot of explanations. So we're going to get a lot of great information from Mike tonight. I'm looking forward to that conversation before we bring him in and start the, sh the talk, the discussion. However, I'll remind you to please subscribe to the YouTube channel and the Twitch channel. And what was the, what's the, I'm missing one. Oh, the podcast. Yes, please uh, find, seek out the podcast and become a podcast subscriber. All of those are free of charge with the exception of Twitch. Twitch, if you subscribe, you, it, it, you, you, there is a fee involved unless you use your Amazon Prime account and connect it to that. If you do that, then there's no fee. But you can follow on Twitch without any type of fee or connecting anything. It's just, uh, you know, the same as subscribing on YouTube. There's no fee on YouTube, no fee for the podcast. So please subscribe to all those channels. I will remind you, tomorrow night we've got a, a great uh, Independence Gang show lined up for you as well. If you haven't found our new show that we're doing about politics, it is called The Independence Gang. That is the name of the channel here on YouTube. It's also the name of the channel on Twitch, which we stream there. That's our backup stream location and it's also the name of the podcast and all of those versions of the show are growing nicely and you can help us continue to grow by subscribing to those as well so a lot of great stuff uh on the on the in the works on the way here and um and i'm looking forward to it all let's get our uh our guest um Mike Dupler on the line with us, and we'll begin this conversation. We'll be talking about Bigfoot tonight. It's Beyond Reality. We'll be right back. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar, goes a long way in helping us produce this program, provide great interviews for you during the course of the week. I thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the conversations that we don't have frequently enough, but we do have them, they're tremendously insightful and a lot of fun as well, is the conversation about the Bigfoot phenomena. And, you know, these the Bigfoot sightings, the stories, I don't know if it's the media 
that once in a while gets this flurry of activity. We see a bunch of stuff. Then it kind of goes quiet for a while. And then you see a flurry of stuff, and then it kind of goes quiet for a while. Well, that's not the case with our guest tonight. Mike Dupler is uh, full-time on this job. He's written a book called On the Trail of Bigfoot. It's uh, it's a new book, and we're looking forward to talking about it tonight. Mike, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you with me tonight. Thank you. Good to be here. So let's get a sense of how all of this started for you. I mean, I know when I go back... And I think about how I was introduced to a lot of these topics. The The subject of Bigfoot particularly, I remember Leonard Nimoy talking about it in the show In Search Of. And that's what kind of fueled my interest and curiosity in that part of my paranormal journey. How did it start for you? I had watched a documentary. Um, it was called Myths and Monsters of Alaska. And one of the segments <clears throat> excuse me, was... On the Prince of Wales Island off the coast of Canada, they had a story uh, about the hairy men who would take blown-down trees and stick them in the ground upside down as to mark territory. And I actually started out hunting ghosts, okay? I'm pretty much a paranormal investigator. My daughter and I were in Oregon. We were in Portland. We were uh, investigating the, the Shanghai Tunnels. And we had rented a cabin in a state park that was between Portland and the ocean. So one day we got up and we decided we'd go to the ocean and spend the day. And we were driving the back roads heading towards the uh, towards the interstate. And in this field, I saw trees stuck in the ground upside down, just like the story they had on this documentary. Oh, wow. So, so something clicked and says... I have to check this out. I have to investigate this. Even if that wasn't Bigfoot activity, it was enough to perk my interest. That's basically how I got started doing this. All right, so I've got to take you back a step then. You said you originally were more interested in the ghost phenomena. Did you spend a lot of time doing that before you started to pursue the Bigfoot story? Oh, absolutely. Probably eight or nine years. Before we get into talking about your Bigfoot uh, research and investigations and all of that, tell us a little bit about your ghost story. Uh, did you do a lot of investigating? I mean, what was the, what was the path you were following there? Some people do it more from an academic standpoint. Some people do the uh, you know go into that uh, haunted location, set up the equipment, and do the full investigation. What was yours? I tried the full investigation aspect of it, and I really wasn't successful it really wasn't what i wanted to do mm -hmm. what it evolved into was i actually started doing ghost photography with specialty cameras oh wow tell us a little bit about that okay i i use night vision cameras and a full spectrum camera which is basically an unfiltered camera that lets in all spectrums of light right um I guess I got started watching Ghost Hunters on TV, mm -hmm. like probably 90% of everybody <laughs> else out there who, who does this. That's right. And I, I, I said, well, I can do this. You know, there's a, I was in, I'm from Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, and there's an abandoned prison in Mansfield, Ohio State Reformatory. Sure, yeah. That does overnight, that does overnight ghost hunts. So, my wife and I went there on an overnight ghost hunt, and that that was actually before I had specialty cameras. I just picked up some uh, disposable 35-millimeter cameras from 
Walgreens mm-hmm. and went there and just took pictures. And we spent the evening there. And at the end of the evening, they have to get everybody together for pizza and uh, drinks and stuff like that, just so everybody can calm down and, and whatever. And we decided, well, we've done enough here. We're going to leave. And upon leaving, I had one picture left on this camera, so I, I, I just took a picture into the what's called a bullpen area, okay. and I caught a full-bodied apparition in that bullpen the first time we went out. So needless to say, I was hooked. Yeah. Yeah, that'll hook you in a hurry if you get that type of success. Uh, just to you know, spend a few more seconds on the ghost photography angle here. Um, what would you say were some of your more successful results from, particularly using the more high tech equipment? Did you were you satisfied with the stuff you were getting? Oh, absolutely. Um, almost every place that we went to and took pictures, I caught something. It turns out that if a place is reported to be haunted, then it usually is. We went back to the uh, Ohio State Reformatory a few times, and I've caught all kinds of strange things, incredible things, um, flying orbs with lights coming off, off of them, like a, like a uh, miniature UFO that actually moves from frame to frame. Um there's a, a place in Trenway, Ohio, called the it's the Prospect Place Mansion, which was part of the Underground Railroad, which is very haunted. And I've caught some very strange uh, occurrences there. Wow! So, do you still very do worthwhile? Do you still do that work in addition to the to the stuff you're doing with Bigfoot? I probably do that more than than I go Bigfoot. Uh, okay, it's yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I laugh because I I completely understand the passion. And uh, once you start doing something like that, you never really let go of it. You can't, especially when you're successful at it. That's right, absolutely right. I mean, if if you go ghost hunt and you spend you know uh, let's say four weekends in a row and you know four hours or five hours a night. And you sit there in the dark and nothing happens for weekends. You're probably going to give up on it. But if you go and you start having experiences, you're probably hooked for the rest of your life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, let's back to the Bigfoot story here. So you so you developed an interest. You you saw these uh, these formations, basically these sticks in the in in the dirt, uh, which which kind of mirrored a story or a, a description you'd heard on a documentary. Uh, so you de- you developed the interest here. When did you start actually pursuing answers? Maybe going out into the woods or or an area that was reported to have Bigfoot activity and start actually looking for these creatures. Well. When I got back to Ohio from Oregon, I called my sister and wanted and asked her if she wanted to go squatching. I looked on the internet to find what kind of hot spots there were in the state of Ohio, and the hot spot in Ohio is a place called Saltford State Park, which is the largest uh, state park in Ohio. I actually learned that of the states reporting Bigfoot sightings. Ohio was number five in the country. Wow! If you can believe that, yeah, this, you would you would think it'd be like in in the Pacific Northwest. Sure. Ohio is is definitely a, a, a hot spot. So we went to Salt Fork. Had no idea what we were doing. Um, 
parked the car and started walking a trail that goes around the lake. And we wandered into a ravine a, a little ways, probably a couple hundred yards. And we decided we'd just sit down and listen for a while. And my sister looked down and said, that looks like a track. What it was was this 18-inch long track pressed in the leaf litter looked exactly what I would think a Bigfoot track would look like. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first place we sat down, we we see this track pressed into the leaf litter. We looked around, and there was another parcel track, and it was just incredible that we actually found that. Yeah. And being that far off the trail, it would be virtually impossible for somebody to fake this and actually think somebody would see it. Mike, you uh, you have uh, what, what many of us call a tremendous uh, propensity for beginner's luck here. On your first uh, <laughs> effort in, in uh, photography, uh, photographing ghosts, you caught some stuff. And here you are out in the woods for the first time looking for Bigfoot, and you find an imprint. Now, let me, let me talk a little bit about you. You are an outdoorsman, right? So you can recognize tracks. You can see things maybe that someone like me who is... I mean, yeah, I've spent time in the woods, but I wouldn't be able to tell you a track from a, you know, from a brush, from a twig scrape. I, I don't know anything about what I'm talking about there. Um, but you've got some experience in that. Oh, yes. I've been hunting for many, many, many years. Um, I can pretty much identify what made a track, a, a possum or a raccoon or a deer or whatever. You can actually spot trails just by looking at the way the the grasses and the leaves um, are assembled or something has gone through there and disturbed them in just, you know, in a certain way. I mean, that, that's an impressive skill to have. So you see this track, you know, I wouldn't be able to tell if, if a track like that had, um, you know, the origins from a, a species like Bigfoot versus a bear. I mean, can you could you tell the difference at looking at a track like that? Or do you have to say, well, it could be a bear, but it's also kind of weird, so it could be this? Well, there are very few bears in Ohio, for, for one thing. there's At the time, there were considered less than 100 bears in, in the entire state. Oh, wow. So, and... I did research it, and there's never been a bear sighted in this in this state park. So I kind of ruled that out. But the the main thing was that there was no associated tracks leading away from it to indicate a bear had walked through there. There was no trackway. We found uh, um, a partial track, but uh, besides the. Uh, the large one that we found in the parcel, there were no other tracks, which would indicate that it has to be something else besides a bear walking through there. Okay, so if it was a if it was a Bigfoot track, are you saying that Bigfoot wouldn't leave more than wouldn't leave a trail? The, from what I've seen or from what I've learned over time is that they they walk through the woods specifically to cover their tracks and their scent because they're apex predator. Right, right, right. Well, 
that makes that you know that makes sense. So you see this track and you ought to, you you know you're 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 excited about it obviously because this is the first place you've looked. What do you do then? Do you just wait it out to see if you get any more evidence, or did you find something else right away? Well, it was getting late, so we left, and we did return to the same spot uh, probably a month or so later, and we went to the the spot where we had found the track. And we noticed on the hill beside us that there were like these bent trees, which seemed out of place. Sure. So we climbed up. We we climbed up this hill, and we saw the the bent trees, which which were actually natural. But we found a Bigfoot structure, which is it's a, a what they call a tree structure, which is assembly of of logs and branches in a certain manner. I had seen these before on documentaries, so I recognized that this looked like something that a Bigfoot would make by from what I've seen. So we looked at it, and it was not natural tree fall. There were no root bases. It was something that was assembled with something that had hands. Okay. If you had to play devil's advocate for a second, if you and you come across, um, a, I'll call it a structure, a structure like that, or a, or a, a, a display like that, um, other than a Bigfoot, what else could make something like that? Just play devil's advocate. A human. So, so basically, we're we're down to a creature that has hands and opposable, basically an opposable thumb is what they're going to need to do something like this. Correct. Yeah. Wow. So as you start looking into this, uh, you, you start developing not just, uh, you know, a fever for it, but you start compiling evidence and information. Uh, how often did you do, did you, or do you go out into the woods and uh, do this type of investigating now? Back then, when I when I started, um, probably every month, every couple months during the summertime or during better weather, I didn't go out in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in Tennessee now. I've retired to Tennessee, and there's an active area not far from me. It's only eight miles away, and I go over there probably once a month have you seen any type of evolution in uh, for I'll, I'll ask this in two parts have you seen any kind of evolution in the ideas that surround the bigfoot phenomena i mean much of this started not that not that not that bigfoot reports don't predate this cuz they do and we'll talk about that but much of this started as a national phenomena or or a paranormal phenomena with the patterson gimlin film um, you know, in the late sixties and then it, you know, was displayed and, and seen in the early seventies. And it really introduced a lot of people to this concept. Has, has the story changed? Have the explanations changed from that point to what we're talking about now, or have they remained relatively stable? Well, I believe the evidence is the same then as it is now, but, uh, the conjecture has changed a lot. There's so many, uh, I would say, unfounded myths about this creature being uh, supernatural, interdimensional, a Nephilim, that type of thing. 
that has really taken off, and it, it kind of clouds the truth. It kind of uh, diminishes credibility of actual uh, legitimate researchers. So I guess that answers the other question. One of the other questions I had on my list to ask you was this idea of interdimensionality or uh, alien uh, uh, connection or um, some type of spiritual being. I mean, there there is a lot of talk about that now, and that never used to be the case. I'm, I'm assuming based on what you just said, that's not some, that's those aren't theories you subscribe to. It's nothing that I have found to be factual. Uh, I think they used the uh, spiritual aspect of it, going from uh, Native American legends, mm-hmm. where they assign spirituality to this, because it was like it is then as it is now, very elusive, very um, standoffish. They had to kind of assume that they were supernatural in their abilities to hide and to stay away from the humans. Right. I mean, that's that seems to be, you know, why many people go to that particular explanation is because otherwise it's very, very difficult to explain why we haven't gotten more solid evidence of the existence. You know, a lot of people want to see either, if not a live creature, they want to see a corpse or a skeleton or some type of physical remains, and we just don't uh, have much of that, if any. Um what do you think the attitude of of the general public is about this uh, this uh, phenomena? Do you think there's a it's evolved at all? Do you think more people believe now than they used to? Where do you think that's going? I think a lot more people believe that it's real, and I think a lot of it has to do with the um, the culture, our culture where. You turn on the TV and there's a Bigfoot selling beef jerky, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> yes. There, it's, it's so, the brand is so familiar that everybody knows what a Bigfoot is. Yeah, but do you think that type of characterization, and, and you know, we all laugh at that, I think. Uh, do you think that helps or do you think that makes it hokey and people say, oh, that's, you know, that's just a bunch of uh, folklore? You know, when you see him hawking, you when you see him hawking beef jerky, or and I've seen like several different commercials using a Bigfoot creature in the last year or so. I can't remember what the other ones are. Maybe one for insurance. I don't even know, but there've been several. Oh, absolutely. And you don't think you don't think that 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 hurts your efforts? Makes people think it's you know it's a joke. I think um, they're more familiar with. Bigfoot itself to where if something does occur, there's a sighting or somebody says, I found a track or, you know, Bigfoot stole my, my goat or something like that. Yeah. Then they have a, they have a frame of reference to where they can, it's more, they can relate to it more than if they had never heard of it or never seen the the commercials or, or something like that. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the Patterson film? authentic okay because you know there are people that say it's it's the holy grail of of our bigfoot evidence at this point and then there are other people say no it's a guy running around in a suit um you know the, it's amazing how 
two very rational people can have completely different points of view on the same piece of evidence. You're in the camp of it's authentic. I mean, recently it was it was uh, given a bit of an upgrade, digital upgrade, I think. You know, it was presented in 4K. Did that do anything to solidify any of the um, ideas either way on one side or the other? Uh, there's been enhancements and this and that through the years. I intended a lecture by a man named Billy Munn, who was a cinematographer, uh-huh. and he dissected this film upside down every possible way that you could, and every conclusion that he came up with was that this was authentic. Yeah, it seems like the people who really know what they're talking about, and they look at this from a forensic standpoint, all seem to come to the same conclusion that that it seems authentic to them. I mean, that seems to be the general, if there is a scientific uh, conclusion about all of this, that seems to be where the science goes. Right. And the fact that it's a a female Bigfoot walking away Mm kind of throws another light on it. Why do you think we haven't been able to get anything nearly, or maybe we haven't, I'm just unaware of it, but from what I know, we haven't been able to get anything nearly as convincing since then people go out in the, in the woods and they're for one thing they're ill-equipped right they're taking their phones yeah and to try to catch a bigfoot film with a phone is it's not very successful there are my sister and i went to uh where we found the, the first track this was uh two or three years later and we walked to Dry Creek Bed mm-hmm. back. Instead of going back up, back up on the hill, we walked straight back because I knew there were some caves back there. Well, we got so far, and the terrain started getting rough, so that's all the farther we went. And we heard a tree knock in the distance in front of us, which is an indication that the uh, there was a Bigfoot warning others that there was humans in the area. Right. So... Well, I had my point-and-shoot camera with me, just just a regular camera, not one of my specialty cameras. And I just took a series of pictures into the woods like I would, like I do when I go ghost hunting. Mm-hmm. If I go into a haunted location, I, I'll, I'll take two or 300 pictures and catch something. Right. Well, once I examined my pictures, there were four Bigfoot in the woods watching us. There were three on the ground, one in a tree, hunkered down in the brush. Oh, wow. We had no indication they were there. There were, there was no smell, no sound, no movement, nothing. And those pictures are in my book. Um, I had to enhance them because they were far away, but they're they're probably about as good as pictures of a Bigfoot that you're going to find. Wow. Uh, this might get, be getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves, but you mentioned that in this particular encounter you had, you didn't know they were there. You didn't smell them. You didn't hear them. Uh, one of the things that we're often told is an encounter with these creatures, there's an odor that is uh, very repulsive in many ways. So my question would be, if you didn't sense, if you didn't smell anything, you didn't sense an odor, does that mean that that odor is something like a musk that they can excrete when they when they want to or is it voluntary 
apparently gorillas have a scent gland under their arms that can emit an odor such as that, and it's it's a defense mechanism. Okay. So if if you're being uh, defensive or they need to to uh, defend themselves from your actions, then they then they will use that. But man, my sister is walking through the woods. We're not going to be a threat to them. Right. So no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't deploy that. Have other people who have investigated this come to that conclusion as well? That 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 odor that is a, is a, is a musk defense. It's kind of similar to what a skunk would do in a way, um, but it's used for exactly. defensive purposes. Do other researchers come to that conclusion as well? Oh, well, I'm sure they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if they don't make the noise, you know, obviously they must be aware of whether or not you sense their presence. If they are, you know, hiding and they're just sitting there, you're taking pictures. You don't even know they're there. But they're not agitated. Right. They're not in a defensive posture. They must be aware of whether or not you can tell they're there. That's a possibility that there there is a type of awareness. Now, this goes into the supernatural aspect of it. There's people who claim to have experienced what's called mind speak uh-huh. when they're near near a Bigfoot. Um, are you familiar with the Survivor Man? Yes. Okay, he's done some Bigfoot uh, episodes. Yep. And uh, apparently, on on one of these episodes, he experienced mind speak with a Bigfoot, and that could be like a mental telepathy type thing. I have never experienced it myself. I don't know anybody personally who who has experienced mm-hmm. it. But if this is real, there are people. Okay. First of all, when I go ghost hunting, I cannot sense a ghost in any way, shape, or form. Right. I am not sensitive at all. Okay. <laughs> if somebody is sensitive to like a ghost or a paranormal, maybe that is a criteria for mind speak. It's just a a possibility that I've thought about. I love the fact that you're you're you know sharing this theory, these ideas with us. I'm, I'm under the impression, though, that you don't necessarily uh, go down that road. You mentioned earlier that you don't you don't necessarily subscribe to the spiritual ideas surrounding this, the spiritual theories or the alien theories. Is that is that a fair thing to say? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're you're in the flesh and blood camp. My position is identify this creature, then you can assign attributes. That makes sense. Um, makes a lot of sense, actually. So the book, on, on the trail of Bigfoot, tell us, tell us a little bit about why you wrote it and what type of book you, you describe it as. Um, I know people who write Bigfoot books, but what they do is they do just relay stories of sightings and that type of thing. This is about my personal experiences with Bigfoot, uh, I've described some of them going through the, uh, up the uh, dry creek bed and that type of thing, going up on the hill. Mm-hmm. When, when we found the structure on top of the hill, I went back there several times over the summer, and each time I took a picture of this, and looking through the pictures, I had noticed that the structure changes. It has subtle changes to it, which indicates to me that this could be a form of communication. 
or this is like a Bigfoot billboard. And if you change the arrangements of the logs or sticks, you change the message that it's leaving. Oh, interesting. Yeah, when I saw that, the, the, the first thing I thought was, well, they're they're communicating with others in the area or others passing through. Kind of like signposts like sign in a way. Exactly, exactly. So as, as you explored so, this particular structure, because you said you went back several times, did you come up on uh, yeah. uh, come up with any other type of evidence? Maybe some footprints at that at that site, or you know, some hair samples, anything like that? Did you, did you find? I found other footprints, nothing castable. Um, like I said, they had the bent trees, uh, the structure we found. There's there was other uh, anomalous things that we found, like two logs stuck uh, in the crotch of a tree, and there's no moving water there. <laughs> there was a, a large log placed against a tree. Uh, there was no root base. Uh, this log had to be 15, 20 feet long and weighed several hundred pounds. It didn't fall there, and I know people didn't place it there. This was just other assorted types of things that we found associated with this structure. Interesting. Um, the book itself, you wanted to do more than just you know recount people's encounters with with uh, Bigfoot creatures. Uh, so you go into right. some detail. You share a lot of pictures in there. I noticed that for sure. Um, but your your main message here is what? That these creatures are, for one thing, they're real. Uh, another thing is they're, they're very intelligent. Uh, they're very elusive. And they're flesh and blood. They're there as... There's at home in their environment as we are in ours. If that makes any sense. Oh, to ma you. that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about um, Bigfoot communication. You you said that you know these structures could in fact be some type of communication mechanism. We've heard you know stories of things like uh, you know uh, rapping on trees. We've heard uh, grunts and snorts and those kind of things. Uh, what do you know and what have you learned about Bigfoot communication? I have heard tree knocks several times, and the ones that I've heard has just been a single knock, which to me is probably, like I said, a warning that humans are in the area. I've heard whoops. I've heard um, I've heard a whistle. I've heard a scream, like a woman from a horror movie. Oh wow! And. I've been growled at twice on two separate occasions. And the growl sounds like something between a mix between Godzilla and a freight train. <laughs> <laughs> Neither one is something you want to become face to face with, right? Um, how close have you, do you think you've gotten to one of these creatures? Uh, probably within 20, 30 yards. That's pretty close. When they're making these noises, whether it's a growl or a whoop or a whistle or a, or I mean, obviously the tree knocks, I think we've we we probably all feel are probably some type of warning, um, communication. But in general, uh, are all of these types of communications just signals to either warn of 
the presence of humans or to actually warn the humans to say, hey, stay away from us? The growl, the two, the, the two times we were growled at, uh-huh. when this happened, it was just one growl. And then nothing. There wasn't any thrashing in the woods. There wasn't throwing rocks. There wasn't any other growls or anything like that. And to me, this indicates a, a warning more than a threat. Like, you're too close. Right. Back off. Right. That type of thing. Right. So the growl would be a warning to you saying, keep your distance. We, you know, <laughs> we're here. We don't want you messing with us. Um, but are, exactly. Are, are they communicating with, with, with each other in those other instances? You know, the whistles, the whoops. Is that them communicating amongst themselves? I would say yes. Now, there's um, something called, have you ever heard of samurai chatter? Samurai chatter? Yes. I have not. Okay. A gentleman named Ron Moorhead was in the uh, Sierra Mountains. Yep, I know Ron. I know Ron and his story. Yep. Yep. Then you know about the samurai chatter. I don't remember that that term being used. Remind me what it is. Okay. Uh, They recorded chatter between the Bigfoots, like they were talking to each other. And to them, it it resembled, like I said, samurai chatter, like. Watching an old uh, kung fu movie or something where they're where they're talking, you know, in, in right. Japanese or something, real fast, real, you know, that type of thing. Right. Yeah, we had Ron. We've had Ron on a couple times, I think, and I remember playing some of those audio clips that he had too. I just don't remember him using that phrase. I don't know if that's something new or I just missed it the first time. Um, if Bigfoot can communicate like that. And and they are. I'm assuming you believe they're they're social. They live in communities. Uh, I think they live in family units. Family units. So, Jen, I would have to assume at that point you've got three or four of them in any. You know, if if you if you find one and there's a family unit, you're going to have three or four of them probably, right? I would say, yeah, yeah. But yet, um, they're really really good at not leaving much evidence of their presence you know obviously they're they're willing to manipulate the trees and and sticks and stuff like that but footprints you you must have seen some footprints have you gotten any hair samples no have you have you found any scat that you're aware of no what do you think i I mean i've never found scat um i've never found a feeding area mm-hmm. and i've never found well i i have found tracks but i've never found a hair sample so i you know again going back this is where these theories of interdimensionality really start to blossom because it's really hard to explain why those things are so elusive you can understand that they might be really good at avoiding and they might be really good at covering their tracks but you know, we all, you know, if, if I guess suppose if our bodies were completely hairy and we brushed against some kind of thorn bush, we're going to leave a clump of hair maybe. Um, and that happens very, very rarely. Why do you think that? I've never seen, I've never been close enough to a Bigfoot to see what kind of hair they've got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how easily it, it comes out or if they groom themselves 
or they have somebody else groom them. It, it could be that type of situation, to, like a cleanliness type of thing to sure. where they don't actually shed that much. Now that, that makes a lot of sense, too, and I love having this conversation. And, and when I present these what what I guess we would call skeptical ideas. It's it's an effort to get these explanations so that we can understand this because you know you've seen the meme. You know uh, what is it? Uh, Hide and seek champion of the of the world, and you know they've got a picture of Bigfoot there because they are so darn right. elusive. What about the use of like thermal cameras? Have you had an opportunity to do any of that in any of your investigations? And if you haven't, do you, are people doing that to see if they can? I mean, they can't. They, I can't imagine they can hide from a thermal image. I'm sure they can't hide from a thermal image. I've never used one myself. They're kind of pricey. So yeah, they are. I've never had the opportunity. Especially if you're going to put it but, on a uh, drone or something, you know, which is really where you need it to to be able to get a, that, a good a good shot. I don't know about the quality of something like that. I've never experienced it, but it, it might, you know, it might be worth checking into as far as uh, getting like a, a thermal imaging app for for a phone. Yeah, but. Um, you see the the uh, the Bigfoot shows like Finding Bigfoot and mm-hmm. and the new and uh, Expedition Bigfoot, where they use thermal imaging and they'll ca- they'll catch a f- uh, a fleeting image going up a hill or something like that to where something's there but they don't know what it is. That's the trouble with uh, thermal imaging. You don't get a clear enough picture of what it is. You just know that something's there. Right. Right. You, yeah, you can't tell that what it is. It could be anything. Uh, and I suppose if you do shoot a thermal imaging camera into the woods, you're probably going to see a lot of signatures because there's a lot of creatures out there that you don't wear, you aren't aware of there. Uh, it's amazing how many things live in the woods that keep themselves hidden. Oh, absolutely. Talk about a little bit about remote viewing here, because I know that you have some uh, a picture I think associated with uh, some a remote viewing instance. What what's this about? I went to the the location where where that uh, stick structure was, mm-hmm. and the sh- the shutter motor went out on my point and shoot camera. So I was using my night vision camera in a daytime mode, and I took pictures into the woods and that type of thing. And one picture I caught looked like a Bigfoot face impressed in the environment. And this is a Bigfoot active area with structures and tracks and this and that, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was Elvis or Wonder Woman, I would say, you know, this is just something else. But <laughs> right. being a Bigfoot face impressed in the environment, what came to, to my mind was, could this be a form of remote viewing that they use as a self-defense mechanism? And that is how they become so elusive because they can tell you're coming in before you have a chance to even do anything to find them. So, so I understand what you're talking about here is you took a, just a picture, you know, in the, you're in the woods, you took a picture and when you looked at it, you didn't see a Bigfoot, but what you saw is what appeared to be like a Bigfoot face, like a, what you would imagine to be a Bigfoot face made out of the, the, natural environment you kind of it kind of created this bigfoot face is that what you mean it's looking at it to me it doesn't look like the leaves of a bush form this like okay. a pareidolia mm-hmm. or that type of thing it looks like the actual 
face like like a specter face, like if it was a ghost or something like that. Really? Okay, well, Mike, I got to ask you then. I mean, you, you, twice I've asked you about your thoughts on this, the spiritual aspect of this, you know, interdimensionality aspect of Bigfoot, and you've you said you don't really subscribe to that. This, something like this must make you start questioning that. Well, I researched remote viewing, and mm-hmm. it's there's schools of thought that it's valid, and schools of thought that it's not. Right, but. Apparently, the CIA has used this for like twenty years to to spy on our enemies with. Yep. And if we can do it, then it should be a primate thing. Another primate can That's do it. Good point. Instead of being instead of being uh, supernatural or that type of thing, this is a primate abil- a, a ability that they've harnessed and have been able to use we know that uh, these stories and sightings of bigfoot type creatures or creatures described as we would describe a bigfoot go back many hundreds of years into native american populations what do we know about the native american native american beliefs as it comes to bigfoot from what i've seen from what i've researched about native american stories and myths about this is it seems like back then they were as elusive as they are today. So the Native Americans, I believe, had to come up with ways to explain this. When when a Bigfoot is walking through the woods and it kind of disappears into the trees, it's, it's hiding itself, but to possibly a Native American, it is supernatural, and it's doing something otherworldly. So the do Native American cultures generally think this is more spiritual? Is that the way they view this creature? Yes. Usually, yes. What, are, what, types they, of, uh, what types of descriptions have you read or seen or heard about from Native American cultures? Uh, does any, is it completely the same as what, the way we describe them, or is there any, are there variances? Usually they describe them the same way we've seen them. Uh, I believe there's actually been totems, totem poles with like a Bigfoot face on it, and it looks pretty much like a, um, like you would think a gorilla would look. Mm-hmm. So they perceive them pretty much the same way we do as far as um, characteristics. Do we have a, a good archive or a good history of when the European settlers started to encounter these creatures? Do we know when that started? Uh, They called them hairy men. Uh, Actually, Daniel Boone, either Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett, one or the other, killed one, and he called it a Yahoo. Really? Yes. Killed one? I, I believe it was Davy Crockett. Wow, I've yeah, never he, I haven't he heard killed that. one, mm-hmm. and he, like I said, the, the name he used for it was he called it a Yahoo. Wow, that's fascinating. I, I, had, look, I never heard that. Yeah, go ahead. If you look at if you look at history, 
Uh, Leif Erikson actually had a Bigfoot encounter in the year 986, which is over a thousand years ago. So the first sighting was over a thousand years ago on these on these things. Do you think the population of Bigfoot is increasing, uh, decreasing, staying about the same? Are they are they suffering from uh, what I would call man's encroachment into the forest, like all the other creatures are? I don't think so. I think there's more of them out there than what people think. Like I said, I'm in Tennessee, yeah. and the area that I've been investigating, they did a lot of logging there, mm-hmm. and I, I still find lots of evidence. It, it hasn't dislodged them at all. They just move into another area. People say, well, one reason that the government uh, doesn't doesn't real or doesn't recognize Bigfoot is because of the logging industry. Well, I don't think that's true because they have logging here and it's not affecting them. They just move into areas where they can't log them, right. like uh, on steep slopes or that type of thing, where the machinery can't get into. Do you think they build shelters? Are they cave dwellers? Are they tree dwellers? What do you, where do you think they actually, if you wanted to you know, give them a home, where would that home be? I would say they live in caves. I have found what's called a nest, which is like uh, brush piled up and hollowed out so to where they can go inside. But my theory on these is they're either um, strategically placed storm shelters or they can use these actually to hunt from. I don't think these are actual dwellings that they live in. We recently uh, did a story on this program. I think it was last week. Um, somebody had uh, taken a picture of what they thought was a Bigfoot, but on second glance, they realized it was a bear, a black bear, standing fully upright, and it was kind of a profile shot. So when you look first look at it, it looks humanoid. It looks like it's human. However, when you you know take a really close look at it, you realize it's just a bear. Do you think that's a problem with, you know, do, do some of these sightings, do some of these people see something call it a Bigfoot when it's probably a bear or some other creature? Oh, absolutely. We have what's called stump squatches out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you, you also go into this book, you talk about uh, things like Mothman. Give me, give me the connection between what you're talking about when you talk about the Sasquatch phenomena and then things like wild men, Mothman, or some of these other, maybe even Skinwalker Ranch for that matter. The interdimensional part of it. Okay. Um, like I talk about the green children of Woolpit. Did you uh, see that part of it? No. Tell me about this. I missed that. Okay. The green children of Woolpit is about two children. Uh, a boy and a girl came out of a cave. I think it was in Wales. Um, like in the 1200s, and they had strange clothing, uh, green tinted skin, and spoken in a language that they didn't understand. The uh, the boy child ended up dying, but the girl survived, 
and her her skin uh, lost its green tint. And once she learned the language, she said that they came from a land where it was perpetual twilight. So apparently this could have been an interdimensional portal that opened up in this cave that they came through and couldn't get back through. Now there was an, another one, um, a creature came out of a, like a, a mine that had a flying type creature, like a mothman. that had a strange light on top of its head mm-hmm. and the townspeople tried to shoot this thing and, and it, the bullets would bounce off or whatever, and it did end up going back in this cave. But it was a well-documented occurrence, and this could have been an interdimensional type of thing. But Bigfoot being interdimensional, um, Jeff Meldrum made a comment one time that Bigfoot or Sasquatch is too well-adapted to this environment to be from a different environment to where if they came from uh, uh, another dimension, they would not be as comfortable yeah. here yeah. being from somewhere else. The, 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 di- the difficult part of all this, but it's also the exciting part of all this, is that we just don't know, right? I mean, there's so many theories and there's so many different definitions but we're, we we certainly don't have anything that we can conclusively say is the truth yet we have what we believe right. we can say the evidence points to this but we certainly can't say with certainty what we're talking about here which is kind of why it's fun at the same time because it is just a tremendous mystery and these sightings sightings have been so pervasive and so um common through history that we know something's happening something is going on Oh, absolutely. One of, it, go ahead, go one ahead. would tend to believe that this this is with all the sightings that they've had for centuries, it would indicate that this is from our environment, our dimension, and not something just crossing over. Right. And it's being flesh and blood. Yeah, what do you say, because some people point out, justifiably, rightly so, that often... Uh, Bigfoot sightings seem to coincide with UFO sightings. That seems to be a pattern that a lot of people have noticed. Are they just you know, trying to take a, a square peg and stick it in a round hole, or do you think there's a connection? I don't think it's actually associated. Well, they call it UFOs, but a, a lot of it, if you look at these sightings, they're associated with lights in the forest. Rather than, and they're calling them UFOs or unidentified. Right. But I was in North Carolina. Have you ever heard of the Brown Mountain Lights? Yep, sure have. I have seen the Brown Mountain Lights. Oh, cool. And, and what I saw was exactly what they show when they show these orbs of light on TV that they're calling UFOs. This is a UFO up here, and it's this orb of light. What I saw, I saw about, there were about 12 of them. They were different colors. They winked off and on, and they kind of danced around each other, and one shot up into the air above the tree line before it disappeared. 
And I think these are naturally occurring, but of unknown origin. And I think what they're seeing is this type of light, which actually has nothing to do with Bigfoot. I see. After seeing these lights and seeing what I, what I see on these programs that they're calling UFOs, it's the same thing that I saw. One of the, uh, I would call him probably the, the grandfather of much of what we're talking about tonight. Lauren Coleman has done a tremendous amount of work on the Bigfoot story plus uh, other cryptids. He's a well-known cryptozoologist. He um, he had some nice right. things to say about your book, Mike. Uh, I did meet Lauren. Uh, it was at the High Bigfoot Conference several years ago, and I actually have copies of my Bigfoot uh, cast in his museum in in Maine. Oh wow, that's great! Yeah, I, he um, this yeah, is well, this is a bit of a strange question, but I know that he had some health issues. Is he okay? As far as I know, yeah. Good, that's good to hear because I we have had him on the program before, but it's been a while it's before those health health issues. You know, a lot of very very uh, no, notorious, I guess I would say, people have been involved or have reported these types of sightings. And one of our greatest presidents, and certainly the greatest outdoorsman who's ever been a president, Teddy Roosevelt, had an experience with Bigfoot, didn't he? He, yes, he did. It was in Washington State, and he was on a hunting expedition. And he didn't actually encounter it face-to-face. It was in the woods around him. And uh, strange noises, strange growls, that type of thing that he couldn't identify as being any game animal that he's ever run across. Yeah, that's that's the encounter that he had. Yeah, uh, and, you know, and again, he's he was a very accomplished outdoorsman, very familiar with the woods and what he might hear in the woods or what he might not hear in the woods. So his opinion means a lot. Uh, Mike, what do you want people to walk away with when they when they read your book? That this creature is real, that it's intelligent. I try to offer some alternative explanations as far as, um, like, stick structures, what they could possibly mean. If they encounter something in the woods, maybe they'll look at it with a different eye instead of um, saying, well, they did this because they know how to break trees or whatever. There's thought behind this. And it's that thought behind the things that they do is what I'm trying to impress on people. What What would you like to see happen? And maybe it's something that you do yourself that that uh, will help us in this investigation. Will help us further this science along. Maybe even lead to a, to some final answers. What do we have to do to get there? For one thing, you have to get out in the woods. <laughs> you can't do it from your <laughs> you can't do it from your couch. Right. Um, to be honest in representations, like uh, a Bigfoot program on uh, or a documentary, be honest with with what you're presenting. Don't make things up just to please an audience. That type of thing. Bring out the truth. Bring out the reality of this. And one of these days we'll identify it, and like I said, we will assign attributes that are appropriate. Mike, i got to ask you, you just said, you know, if you're doing a documentary, don't 
you know, bring out the truth. Don't put things in there that aren't true. Uh, are you referring to any particular documentary? Um, and if you'd rather not, say, been, if you'd rather not say, there have been I understand. A few questionable ones. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the this expedition Bigfoot, the one that's uh, that's currently uh, on on TV and, and streaming. Yeah, some of the things that they've done is just kind of throw up some red flags. Right. Like um, on one episode, she was the, the uh, female primatologist went through this. Uh, cave system in, in Kentucky, thinking that, that Bigfoot lived down here and traveled through here, but she failed to realize that there's no light down there. If there a Bigfoot went through there, he would have to feel his way through, you know, that type of thing that really didn't make any sense to me why they were pursuing this and, you know, giving people ideas that, that they actually do this. I think I interviewed that primatologist. Do you remember her name? Miriam or something? Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and look. I think uh, I had her on the program like a couple months ago, I think. I have to go back and look. Um, where can people get the book? It is available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and through IndieBound. What's next for you? You're going to continue to do some ghost photography, I would imagine. And what's next in the quest for answers as in regards to Bigfoot? You got to just keep on looking. Go out in the woods and see what else you can find. Maybe something will surprise you. You run into something totally off the wall and say, wow, I cannot believe this is associated with this. Or how can this be associated with it? associated with this but to get out in the woods and do it is the main thing now i know you were recently at a i think a bigfoot conference maybe in ohio do you have any other events coming up i will be in townsend tennessee saturday for a bigfoot festival this coming saturday like the day after tomorrow yes oh wow yes. Now, what happens at a bigfoot festival is it is it is it a is it a scientific gathering or is it more fun and is it more of a festival? I would say more fun. This is my. This will be my first festival, actually. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, well, hey, this this is a great book. You've done a lot of terrific terrific work here. So congratulations on that. I hope hope uh, you have a lot of success with it, Mike. And uh, I hope you'll stay in touch with us and let us know how you know other things that your work yields. Because we'd love to have you back on the program at some point. Sure, I'd love to be, come back. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.